Hello and welcome back to The, the Mentors. Mentors. This is Vadim. And Sergey. And this is a show where we tell stories of ordinary people that became extraordinary entrepreneurs despite lack of experience, money, or connections. And other times, we just talk to each other. Because we have no friends. Yeah, we have no friends. And hopefully you're listening on in the podcastosphere, in a, or you know, there's no such thing as a podcastosphere as far as I'm aware. Ooh, that rhyme. Today, we're going to talk about a topic that we've seen covered many times, but not in a way that was satisfactory to us. And that topic is, can entrepreneurship be learned? People tend to be on polar opposite sides of this question. They either vehemently think that, yes, it can be learned, or completely disagree and say that, absolutely not, you have to be a natural born entrepreneur in order to pursue it. We are a little bit biased, I will say, uh, possibly because we teach entrepreneurship, but... We definitely think it can be learned. And I mean, we have empirical evidence. We have mentored hundreds of entrepreneurs. We have had dozens of entrepreneurs on this podcast. And most of them, although they had certain natural skills, for the most part, they learned how to be a founder. They weren't born being a founder. Well, uh, the one thing I'll disagree with that is, is I actually think that all of us are born with an entrepreneurial gene. And it's not a matter of learning it but almost relearning the skills and the things that we already have from an early childhood it just that you know when you go through the school system the education system when you get into college and you have this idea of getting a full-time job and making enough money to feel secure right we're constantly conditioned to not exercise our entrepreneurial genes or muscles or what have you And I think that the point is to kind of come back to our childhood, come back to what our natural inclination is, and actually exercise those entrepreneurial skills through practice. Interesting. I like that perspective, and I tend to agree. I think that uh, the reason why school systems function the way they do is because their job is to sort of serve the masses and put us in a certain box that hopefully helps us uh, put us in the right direction to have a career, add value to society. I mean, that's really the whole point of it. Uh, it's not designed to create entrepreneurs. Though in the American school system, we are taught, when we, when Vadim and I came from a Soviet country, we were not taught to question our teachers. We were supposed to just take what they said as gospel. And we were surprised when we came to America, kids were interrupting teachers and telling them, well, wait a minute, why is this this way? Or this doesn't make sense. In the USA, we're taught to question our teachers. And that is actually a fundamental entrepreneurial skill that I think we take for granted here in the US. But There are three things that we do think are incredibly important to uncover, as Vadim said, or develop within yourself in order to be successful as an entrepreneur. And this is what we have observed from working with so many entrepreneurs because, and even interviewing entrepreneurs for this podcast, you start to hear similarities in the stories that they tell. And that's why we can actually now hopefully synthesize this information and help you understand what skills you need to train or what things you need to work on to be a better entrepreneur. Yes, some people are naturally more inclined or naturally have these skills because they've been exercising them for a long time, but that doesn't mean that you can't work on them as well. And also, every single entrepreneur out there is completely different. Some have certain strengths that others don't possess, and it doesn't mean that you have to be great at everything, but we have identified, I think, three core fundamental things that you have to get better at in order to even see yourself as a better entrepreneur, what are those three things, Sergey? 
The number one thing that everybody has had in common that we've mentored over the years that has been successful is persistence. You, you can't substitute anything for persistence. Number two, understanding risk and being able to evaluate risk appropriately. And number three, adaptability. And we think that all these three things can be learned and we've witnessed people change in ways that made them better at those three things. So we thought it'd be good to start with a few examples of entrepreneurs that we've met along our journey. And some of them were a little bit older when they started. Some of them were younger or at different stages in their career or even entrepreneurial journey. But all of them figured out themselves how to get better at the things that they were weaker at. Uh, And so the first story that we're going to start with is a story about persistence. One of the first entrepreneurs that we had on this show was a woman by the name of Olga Nesterova, and she started a dance company uh, after quitting her job at the United Nations, and now they've grown to where she has classes probably on a daily basis, and her and her company perform at NBA and NHL halftime shows in New York City and in other major hubs in the United States. She is one of the most persistent people that we know and is a great example of someone that just kept on pushing. You know, one of the things she identified early on is that in order to grow her audience or even grow attendance into her classes was she had to have a really solid social media presence. And and actually Instagram was a big one because dance is such a visual art form that it made sense to actually focus on growing her Instagram following. And so every single day she would spend hours a day growing her following posting new images, posting new videos, which also obviously meant recording and taking more pictures, being persistent and consistent with it, following people, using hashtags, whatever the strategy you need to use to grow your audience continuously. And to this day, years later, even though now she's seeing some success, she still continues to push on that because that is a channel, an acquisition channel, and a channel of awareness that works for her. I mean, she has... 30,000 Instagram followers now, and we still see her post like four times a day on Instagram and Facebook. It's something that she knows is important for her business, and she's very persistent at it. But look, she started off as a dancer, and she went from dancing to working at the UN. So there was many points in her life where she could have stuck in a certain box that society put her in. You have amazing dance skills. You have won championships in dance. You are a dancer. That is who you are. That is what you should do. And if that was her frame of mind, she would have limited her potential, I think. But she realized later in life that she loves teaching dance and she can turn that into a business. So she learned that she could be an entrepreneur if she developed some of those skills that that she saw as important in order to be successful at that. And I actually think that having known a lot of dancers in my life and dated one, this is a skill that a lot of uh, people that identify dance uh, or some kind of performance like that as their true calling, this is a skill that they've all been able to develop because from a very young age, they're used to constantly going to rehearsals, constantly pushing themselves beyond their physical limit because that's what they need to do in order to get to the level that they want to and to compete with all the other dancers out there. And so someone like Olga is a perfect example of somebody that just kept on pushing and is now seeing your fruits of labor. And it's not like you're always going to be successful and always going to be happy just because you're being persistent, but it is that consistency that you need to follow that will increase your chances of becoming a successful entrepreneur. So if it's not a skill that you have developed, we're going to talk about later in the episode of how you can be more persistent and how you can practice this. The other example of an entrepreneur that uh, was on our show that exemplified this is uh, Carrie Smith 
of big ass fans. For 14 years, he worked on a business that wasn't growing. I mean, it was generating over a million dollars a year, so it was already doing pretty well, but it wasn't growing. And his team wasn't growing. And only after the 14th year of working on that business did he identify a new market opportunity to go after. And then the business ultimately ended up selling for $500 million. If he hadn't been persistent for those 14 years, now obviously he had to have some wins along the way, but if he hadn't been persistent in trying new things, he would have never experienced that ultimate success. So again, pointing to the fact that in order to get lucky, you have to put yourself in a position constantly of potentially being supposed to luck. And by the way, one of the ways he was persistent and he gave himself an ability to be persistent is he wrote for industry magazines in the industry that he was in, which is industrial cooling. Very boring, right, for most of us. But this is something that he did every all the time. He did it on a very consistent basis. Ultimately, that practice of writing for that publication is what opened up his eyes to another opportunity in the business that ended up helping him to grow. Now, to compare Kerry to Olga, I mean, they're two wildly different people. And they were both able to figure out how to apply persistence to entrepreneurship. So I think that is evidence in and of itself. If these two different people can be successful entrepreneurs in very different ways, then I think that it can ultimately be learned. So persistence and consistency, they they go hand in hand. The next topic that we want to talk about is ability to evaluate risk. Now, I think the biggest point here to take away, and we've talked about this on our show before, is that not all risk is the same and much of the risk that we perceive to be incredibly risky to us or that we perceive to be really important in some way is actually not real risk. It's not true risk. It's just perceived. It's just that. And a perfect example of how people tend to perceive risk and how that's different from reality is actually very evident in sales. Sales as it applies to a business that you start or as a job that you have. Vadim and I have known a lot of salespeople in our lives. We did sales before we got into entrepreneurship. And one of the things paradoxically in the beginning that happens when you start off in sales is that even if you're somebody that's outgoing, you still, like most people, really fear rejection. And because you fear rejection, you don't allow yourself to act in certain ways. For example, you might send one email and not follow up because you think you're bothering somebody. Or you might not reach out to an important person because you think that person's really busy and you're going to piss them off and you're going to ruin your chances of ever getting their attention. When in reality, there are so many reasons why somebody might not have responded to your first email. Maybe they just never saw it, and so it makes sense to follow up. And there are so many reasons to reach out to an important person because they might need what you're selling or what you're trying to provide for them. And so... As a salesperson, and for us it took, I mean, for me, I think it took like at least a year to realize this in a sales job, and I think for Vadim as well. And as a salesperson, it just takes time to get over that fear of rejection to come to the realization that rejection is not a real risk. Even for me, it took a while, like Sergey said, when I first started off in sales, but eventually I was able to appropriately evaluate real risk versus perceived risk by just doing it over and over again. And that came when I was able to understand the value that I was offering to some of the population that I was selling to. When I was approaching prospects, I realized there was no risk because understanding that somebody won't get value from my offering is actually one step closer to finding somebody else that will. And that it was just a process. And that to get to the people that would want to buy my product or whatever I was selling, I had to go through the people that would say no. And so the risk was get a no, but the potential reward 
was finding somebody would, that would get so much value that would actually justify all the hard work that I was putting in. And so in that example, it's really just being honest with yourself and weighing what is a real risk and what isn't. Getting a no is not a risk. There's nothing that's going to happen to you if you get a no. Versus, you know, if there's a risk where you're going into severe debt, where you're going to lose a lot of money and you can't pay rent, maybe that's a real risk. Asking an investor for a million dollars, wow, seems like a ton of money. But guess what? Investors write million dollar checks because it's their job to do that. And so if you can convince them that your business will be worth much more than that someday, then there's no risk at all in asking for that. So get better at evaluating whether the risk is real or perceived, and that'll make you a better entrepreneur. One of the first things that I learned in sales from a more senior salesperson that was mentoring me as I was training was don't think with your wallet. And what that meant was, you know, I was calling up prospects and I was asking them for these big thousands of dollars worth of monthly budget that they would have to spend on online advertising. And I used to think, wow, if they lose all that money, they would have to sell their house or be homeless or close down their business or whatever I would think would would happen if you lost a few thousand dollars. But then I realized by talking to my colleague that was mentoring me that they spend thousands of dollars on marketing that doesn't work all the time. And this might actually work. And the risk for them, because their wallet is different than mine, is actually nothing. And so by re-evaluating that situation, I was able to then understand that there was no risk involved in me asking for their money because I was actually pretty confident that there was a good chance this was going to work, whereas some other channels wouldn't work at all for them. So successful entrepreneurs aren't people that just take risks or are willing to take risks. They're people that are able to evaluate the situation and understand if it's something that's real or just perceived. Finally, we want to talk about adaptability because adaptability is really a foundational skill that every entrepreneur needs to have. If you're not willing to adapt, uh, you can't succeed because ultimately you can't guess every right step you have to take. You have to try things, learn along the way, and then try something different. And by the way, another way of thinking about this, another term that can be used is coachability. The two actually go hand in hand. And the reason why we think of that first is we do directly coach and mentor a lot of entrepreneurs. And one of the biggest red flags that comes up is if they just nod and agree with your advice, but then never actually try anything or do anything with it because they're stuck in their ways, we understand very quickly that they're much less likely to progress with their business and their idea. And so a story that comes to mind is a founder that went through uh, the accelerator program at New York University this past summer, and they had this one idea that they'd been working on for about eight months. They built an app for it. They had been trying to get users for it, and they had this whole vision about why this thing needs to exist. The only problem is when they tried getting customers for it, nobody really wanted it, and they didn't know why. And so we challenged them to talk to as many customers as possible during that program to really understand what did their customers need and Were they even talking to the right customers? Maybe somebody else needs what they have even more. And lo and behold, because the founders were open to feedback and because they were actually not pushing their solution on customers, but really ended up trying to understand. By the way, for eight months, they were pushing it, but they saw it didn't work, so they had to adapt. Like it was forcing function. Now they're better at it. But they they started to seek to understand what do their customers really need. And by doing that, they found out that really only one feature of their product was interesting to customers. And when they saw that that's the feature that was interesting, they started selling it to other potential customers and found out that there was a whole other customer segment that needed their product so much that they were willing to pay for it right now. So that founder, by being adaptable, 
not only learned that he should go after another customer base and that he should focus on selling this one particular feature, but he actually also learned how to sell over that time frame. He did not think of himself as a salesperson. He was outgoing, but that's about it. But he actually learned how to evaluate customer needs and give them a solution and then ask for money. Not something that he was born knowing how to do. He absolutely learned it by actually trying it. So adaptability, hugely important. And we see it time and time again, where founders that are willing to change and tweak something are the ones that ultimately end up succeeding. Taking these three main core ideas and taking a step back, some of you might be wondering, well, how do I actually start learning these things? How do I actually start practicing? And so we're going to break it down briefly. Uh, first of all, hopefully you can have some takeaways from the stories we just told you and maybe even apply it directly to whatever work you're doing. But how can you actually do it if you're starting from scratch? Well, let's start with the first point, which is persistence. One way to do it, and obviously the, the takeaway from each of these is uh, you just have to try, right? But how can you actually construct a little bit more of, of a method around this? Well, let's take persistence, for example. Next time you send a sales email or you reach out to somebody and you want something to happen and they don't respond, if you're allergic to or unlikely to follow up because you're starting to assume that, well, they're not going to do anything or I'm bothering them or whatever it is our lizard brain tells us to do, do the opposite. Send a follow-up. Send two follow-ups. Don't be annoying. Try to offer some value or try to maybe even be inquisitive about the person and show that you're interested. But do take that extra step of following up where maybe before you didn't. What you'll find after doing it a few times is that it actually works. And by seeing results from doing that new action that you haven't practiced before, you're more likely to do it again and again. And learn to be more persistent because you you learn that, well, it actually works. And I'm not actually being annoying. That's a good point. So take micro actions that are easier. Again, it's going to be tough for you in the beginning because you're not used to being persistent maybe. But try in one small way, maybe that one follow-up and the next week another follow-up. And eventually it'll just become part of your workflow and you're going to get better at it because you've done it already. And you've seen that it works. I like that. And you can even do it in small ways, right? So let's say you're trying to get into a bar or you ordered some food that you didn't like. Well, maybe before you wouldn't like confrontation and you wouldn't be persistent, so to speak, in trying to get into the bar or trying to get a good meal that day. Take a quick little risk and ask, you know, can I get in if I come in with a girl to the bar? Or, you know what, I don't really like this dish. And realize that, let's say if you're in a restaurant, realize that ultimately the owners of the restaurant want you to walk away with a good experience so that you can refer it to other people. So maybe asking for another dish and then offering a positive review on on Yelp in return can actually be beneficial to both sides. But here you were practicing the act of being persistent. And that's a good point. I mean, that in and of itself, that example at the restaurant is a moment where you're doing a little self-reflection where before you would automatically just not ask for a dish, a new dish, because maybe this one's cold or they brought a salad instead of fries and you don't want to bother somebody. But if you stop and think about it and think about the fact that that's their job to get your order right and you want to have a good experience and walk away from it. And like Vadim said, the restaurant owner wants you to have a good experience. You've just reframed it in your mind and you've allowed yourself to be more persistent. So start with those micro actions by allowing yourself to be more persistent. And then eventually you're just going to become a more persistent human. The next point is understanding risk, or in other words, being able to evaluate if something is a real risk or perceived risk. One way to get better at that is a technique that I recently learned called negative visualization. And I learned it from a podcast interview that Jason Fried, founder of 
37 Signals and Basecamp was on with Tim Ferriss. And it turns out that this practice of negative visualization was practiced by Marcus Aurelius and Seneca, and it's an ancient practice. But the idea is this, and this is how Jason explained it. He used to get worried about something terrible happening with his kid all the time. So let's say his kid is going to uh, to a soccer game, right? He's going to have a terrible injury. Well, he started practicing negative visualization. So when that thought enters his mind, my child is playing in a soccer game. They're playing against a varsity team, you know, level one. They're going to get their asses kicked, and there's a high risk of injury because it's going to be an aggressive game. Before, he would try to push off those feelings and what would happen is he would have this latent worry all day until the game was over and he knew his kid was okay. Well, instead, he started practicing negative visualization and where he would allow himself to picture the worst possible scenario of what could happen if his worst possible thoughts came to life. And so he would then think about, okay, my kid, they're going to get injured. They're going to break a leg. There's going to be blood everywhere. He's going to be rushed to the hospital. They're going to have to amputate his leg. Like literally thinking of the worst possible situation. Then two things happen. First of all, you realize how ridiculous it sounds. And second of all, you realize that the worst possible thing that could happen has such a small chance of happening that you don't have to sit there worrying about it all day. And so one way to understand if something is real or perceived is try to think of the worst possible thing that could happen. Picture that worst possible thing. And it should help you realize that there's a very, very, very low probability of that happening. And that that's really the only thing that you were worrying about in the worst in the first place is the worst possible thing happening. Finally, adaptability. How do you become more adaptable? The whole point of why adaptability is so important in entrepreneurship is that you have to have an ability to adjust course and change your mind based on new input and new information. Everyone, even uh, headstrong people like Steve Jobs were able to do that, were able to realize when something isn't working and try something new. So how do you become more adaptable? Well, I think one thing is learning how to be a little bit more self-aware and recognize when you're not being adaptable. If your partner or co-founder or employee, if your company is big enough, comes to you with a new idea, do you immediately shut it down and give them 10 reasons why it wouldn't work? Well, what if you just try saying, okay, give it a shot, or yes, maybe this is how this idea could be better, or a million other answers that are not no. Try to welcome those new ideas and let somebody try failing at them and be okay with them failing at them, even if that somebody is just yourself. So learning from others and just starting to say yes instead of no is actually a really quick way to start becoming a little bit more adaptable. Another way to do it is to throw yourself into other people's perspectives. And what I mean by that is start consuming content that you don't normally consume or start surrounding yourself with different types of people that are normally not in your network. You'll start to understand that the world is different than the lens that you think through. You'll start to get real examples of people and stories and ideas of how somebody ended up succeeding or moving forward when they were just willing to adapt. And more importantly, you'll realize that, well, maybe I shouldn't be stuck in my ways because there's all these other potential ways of thinking about things and perceiving things. Yeah, once you start seeing that for other people, trying a new direction when something didn't work actually worked, then you start to project that on yourself a little bit and believe that maybe for you, changing direction could work. And another way to get a little bit better of being more self-aware to be more adaptable is actually very simple. It's making lists, making a list at the end of the year or at the end of the month of what worked and what didn't. And seeing that list in front of you will help you be a little bit more honest about 
what actually didn't work and why. Asking yourself, why didn't that work? Have we been doing the same thing over and over again and that's why? Have we not said yes to certain opportunities that came our way and maybe that's why? So actually seeing it in front of you on paper could really help recognize when you should change an approach or keep going in the direction you were at. And if you haven't noticed yet, the theme of self-awareness actually applies to all of these things. If you're more self-aware, you're more likely to be adaptable and change course. If you're more self-aware, you're more likely to understand risk and know if it's real or perceived. And if you're more self-aware, you're more likely to take a risk and be more persistent because you realize that it's not that much of a risk at all. And so self-awareness is kind of the cornerstone of all this. There's a lot of different ways of practicing it. Obviously, just doing it (laughs) at the end of the day is the best way to do it. Self-reflection, right? Yep. Sitting down and actually thinking about it. Like, what am I doing that I was convinced is the right thing to do, but maybe is not? Asking yourself that question, is there something that I'm doing maybe isn't right? That's a self-reflective thing that most people actually don't spend the time doing. And another thing that we always recommend is meditation. If you haven't practiced that or haven't delved into that practice, give it a go. At least do a little bit of research on it. Because it can be very helpful in, at the very least, learning how to step away from yourself and from your own thoughts and potentially seeing things from a different perspective. Hopefully, some of you that may have been on the fence about starting on their entrepreneurial journey because you don't know if you have it in you now realize that all of us have it in us and that there are real ways that you can practice getting better at it. But also... Don't take things too seriously. Hopefully this isn't any burden on you at all because ultimately you do have some value to offer to the world. You do have something unique and different from everybody else. And the most important thing is trying in the first place. And for us, the question you should ask yourself is not whether entrepreneurship can be learned or not because obviously we think it can, but is it something that you want, right? Sometimes you have to try it to know. But that's where you have to be honest with yourself and figure out, is this something that I really want? And if the answer is absolutely yes, then go figure it out. That's it for this week's episode of The Mentors, and we'll see you next week.